You are listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. In this episode of the Bottom Line podcast, we are focusing on treatment planning, staging, prognosis, preferences and circumstances. Chris Gillies joins me. He was just 41 when he was diagnosed with bowel cancer and he joins me today on the Bottom Line. Welcome, Chris. Hi. Great to have you. Before we go into the treatment planning, I want to explore the lead up to your diagnosis because like many, you have a family history. Can you talk us through your initial diagnosis? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed early November 2018. I'd had a colonoscopy in 2013 and there was no polyps or anything. It was just, it was a bit of redness and irritation. So they put me on a course of anti-inflammatories that fixed it up. But yeah, and then 2018, I just started like having weird things, like not sort of just always kind of being constipated to, and not really. So I just thought, oh, I'll just drinks metamucil and stuff and, and nothing really quite fixed it and then I I would always have this sort of pinching pain in my sort of gut I went to the doctor I kind of explained you know I've just been on this flight and blah 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 and because at the same time I was getting all these different sort of allergies to food like it's just and I've never had that before um so he's like well we'll do a poop sandal sample because maybe it a stomach bug you know you've just been traveling maybe it's that so we did that and there was a stomach bug so he put me on a course of antibiotics and they made me really sick but I saw out the the dosage and um but then I went back to the doctor and I said nothing's nothing's working like because I get to the evening and I just be constantly needing to go to the toilet because my bowels couldn't empty so we did another stool sample that came out clear so he just said shush me off to the specialist his receptionist got me in within two days and I basically had burst into tears because by this stage I was just no idea what was going on and I just had this horrible feeling that it was something more sinister than hemorrhoids which the specialist initially thought yeah and then I remember coming out of the anesthetic and there was just a general vibe in the room that something was not it wasn't a good happy event and he's like yeah I'm sorry you've got bowel cancer so (laughs) what was going through your mind because obviously there was a family history and knowing that your father had passed away from the disease can you describe how you felt then when the colonoscopist came in and told you of your suspected bowel cancer yeah I was just I was devastated because my initial thoughts were to my mum because I I remember my dad saying like you may make sure you look after your mum because he knew he was going at this stage. And I just remember too, like he had all these symptoms different to mine. Like he was drinking bottles and bottles of antacid because he just, but this one, and there'd be days where he couldn't get out of bed and he was a very fit sort of physical guy. Like he, he used to build boats and be a carpenter and stuff. So it was very unusual for him to lie in bed all day. And I just remember I'd argue with him. I'd say, get to a doctor, like go to a doctor. And we'd all be like, and he'd be like, no, 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 no. And then eventually he did and, and eventually he got diagnosed, but by, it was quite a highly aggressive cancer that he had. So he didn't have, and this was in the sort of mid-90s, so he didn't have a great prognosis. But I suppose I just thought I saw all that. I saw the delay 
And I just kept thinking back, oh, I should have just gone when I started thinking things were weird. And I used to say the same. Why didn't I go when I presented? But did you present at any stage and a doctor dismiss that? Because I was dismissed, so I trusted the GP. Were you ever in that situation? Uh, I think I was just really fortunate that I had a great GP. He was like, I, I've looked at this. It's not, it's not a stomach bug you need to see a specialist. And I think I was just lucky that my doctor is like... Luck shouldn't come into it, though, should it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about men and when we spoke earlier in the week, you were very strong around this about raising awareness because men tend to ignore symptoms. Can you tell me why that's so important? Well, I think it's just being able to relate. So I know when I was initially diagnosed, I just wanted information and I was going through the bowel cancer Australia. Like I think I just found them on a Google search and I was just reading it, all the stories I could to just understand like what others go through. Cause I think when you read the material about treatment, it just sounds horrible. You're like, you think, what am I going to put myself through this? So I think it's just having other, and I'm not dismissing um, another, like a woman's experience. Um, but I just think you kind of, especially younger men too, like you just think you feel a bit isolated Yes. to hear about their stories. And, and I think you just want to know like someone else has gone through it. And come out the other side. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hear that. It's about relating and where you are in your journey, I suppose. You mentioned treatment plan. I'd like to focus on that a little bit and your ongoing experience with the disease. Treatment is decided by a number of factors, as we know, it could, you know, including where the cancer is, how it's progressed to the other organs. Can you talk us through where your cancer was in your bowel and the stage you were diagnosed? Yeah, sure. So mine was rectal cancer, which is unfortunate. I had rectal cancer too. <laughs> <laughs> We need to talk about our rectums. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yes, I think mine was in the lower 15 centimetres of my rectum, um, which is where the irritation was of, that was originally diagnosed. So, yeah, it was, so it's found the lower part of my rectum and and then as a precaution, I guess I did a whole bunch of scans. I think I did an MRI and a, a CT within a week of that initial diagnosis and that picked up some tumors in my right lung i think there's about three in my right lung it was in my lymph nodes and lung so yeah so i was diagnosed at stage four so for for our listeners um this was all prior to your surgery yeah. so they they effectively could stage that from your scans and the fact that it had progressed to another organ took it to stage four Often the term patient-centric care is spoken about quite a bit by healthcare professionals. Yeah. Um, and, for example, you know, I declined radiation due to the impact that it was going to have on the quality of my life. Yeah. Um, I had chemo post-surgery, whereas some people have chemo pre-surgery yeah. to reduce the size of their tumour. What were your initial treatment options recommended by your specialist? So my and referring doctor, he just put a whole thing in place. They didn't really say, I mean, I'm sure I could have declined the option that they presented, but, and it wasn't, I don't see it as a negative, but they put it to me like, we'll give you radiotherapy and a low dose chemo to shrink the tumor in my bowel prior to operating. 
I trundled along to that. So that was five weeks of uh, radiotherapy and, and chemo. And did they offer other alternatives? Did they explain the ramifications of that? Did you have any options and able to challenge that? Like I wasn't really presented an option as of this is your suite. They explained the treatment. I think it was just I just had so much faith in my doctor. Was there any ramifications from that initial treatment plan? The radiotherapy was, I mean, it started out fine. But then it's one of those cumulative things. Once um, I got really quite fatigued and because it was <laughs> focused on my, my lower bowel, I just had really severe irritation. It's like I, have to do? I just have to sit on um, ice packs. And I just, they said, oh, like sometimes you just like sit in a bath and just calm things down. And I bought this little inflatable kiddies pool from Kmart because this is in the middle of summer so this is like in December and I filled it with water and I sat in it for like 10 minutes and I was like oh my god it's just the best thing because obviously it was overheating so um and it was just making me need to go to the bathroom because it must have just been irritating and it's a very no this is this is what we talk about it's an incredibly sensitive area and I think you know I talk about when you go for your colonoscopy and the prep As you know, you would have done many of them, you know, having lanolin and um, wipes. And if you haven't done one before, you don't know that, but that can make a big difference to your comfort factor. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of it going to the lung, obviously that changes, you know, for those that may not know, you know, stage one and two is very treatable. Three and four gets a little more hairy. Did they explain to you how that might impact yeah yeah but they did i suppose that was like a timetable of events so i knew pretty much so we'll start with the radiotherapy then if that's control like and with the chemo cancer's not gone anywhere else then we'll go surgery to take out the major tumor in your bowel so from surgery to chemotherapy then you have the lung uh, surgery and then the ileostomy bag reversal so I guess in that sense, yes, they did kind of give me a plan and that was something, and I guess I was just like, I was just happy, I was confident and and periodically having CT scans along the way just to make sure everything was working. So you felt quite comfortable with that and you went, so you had surgery. How was the surgery for you? And obviously they'd spoken to you, you've spoken about an ileostomy bag. So they obviously mentioned that it was highly likely you'd have a stoma. Well, yeah, it was funnily like I was like a kind of okay with the surgery. It was the bag. I didn't want it. You're not alone. Uh, my, my surgeon said to me, you seem more concerned about the stoma and the bag than the cancer. It freaked the bejesus out of me. And for many listeners out there, it's not as bad as what it seems, is it? But I don't think there's enough education around that because it's very scary. Yeah. You suddenly have to know, like, I just didn't really want to use public toilets. So I was kind of like probably forced myself to plan so I could be away. And I, I was a freelance so I could work from home and I would just schedule. So I'd try and get stuff done in the morning where it was relatively quiet and then so I could be home in the afternoon for the inevitable bag feeling for those that you know our listeners you become very aware of the way your body works but a stoma can impact your life quite severely and i don't think 
that is explained to you. It's, oh, you'll have to have a stoma. And yes, it, there, there's no other alternative, but it's coming to terms with that and a little bit more education sometimes would be nice. Yeah. You had a stoma, but yours was reversible, is that correct? Yes, I had it for nine months though. Did you have a nurse to help you through that process? Yeah, so I had a lovely um, stoma nurse, Jackie. She took a lot of pride in her work. So I had a really great surgeon. So the referring doctor, he was a bit on the older side, so he handed me over to a younger, really wonderful surgeon, and he sent me off to Jackie prior to surgery just to have a chat to her and she put the mark where the stoma was going to go and she just talked me through the different bag options to help me pick out which one was the best for me. Unfortunately, mine wasn't a Louis Vuitton, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I just hated mine. But I remember she was so wonderful and she, she'd be like, it's your beauty coming out. And I was just like, oh, Jackie, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it is very challenging and it's something you can't get away from, especially rectal cancer in particular. So we have to learn to live with it but it's these tips and some more guidance sometimes that i think would be very helpful so you had your reversal in 2019 you did your course of chemotherapy and then last year you had a pet scan and it showed am i correct it showed that the cancer had returned to your lungs yeah yeah so this time it was in my left lung two spots in my left lung two in my right and a lymph node or two had lit up. And how did that make you feel? Like I remember coming to the end of my chemo in 2019, I was about to um, have my surgery planned a month off. I'm sitting in with my oncologist and I said, so is this it now? Like is this? And she's like basically something along the lines, we've treated all the disease that we've, we can find. So technically you could say you're cured. And my oncologist says she's really good. So I but I guess she was a bit guarded because I think you just can't be certain. Yeah, so then anyway, I had to go see her again in three months, have a scan, and I never felt 100% right. Like it was just, I just didn't feel right. But I just tried to get on with life and I just was starting to kind of go, okay, I'm post-cancer now. I'm not a cancer patient anymore. I'm, yes. I'm post-cancer now. Which is an important psychological position to be in. However, it's always there in the back of your mind. Yeah, it never, it never goes away, I think. What was your treatment plan post the reoccurring cancer? So my oncologist got me back in and this time it was tweaked a little bit. Same tablets, which I think they're called Zolota capsidabine that I'd been taking and they worked well on the cancer. So it was that. But so before I was on capsidabine and Sally Platten, but this time around they gave me a targeted therapy, which I call it Avastin. I was told you'll have eight cycles of chemo, whereas this was like you're just indefinitely on chemo. So it was quite a devastating thing to get my head around because my doctor said, look, you've got years and years to live. Like it's not the end kind of thing. But, yeah, I was facing a prospect of on chemo for the rest of my life yeah talk us through the meeting for your next plan of treatment i guess by this stage i've been seeing my oncologist for like uh well over a year so i kind of have quite a strong 
relationship with her, had my registrar at the time. And he was really upbeat, I think. That really helped. Because when I got the news, I was like, oh, well, that's it for me. Isn't it? Like, I'm going to be done and dusted in a couple of years or whatever. Um, but he made me feel like, no, like, I've got heaps of options and I'm in a really good place. Great. He's like, this is a, you, like one of the best cancer centres in the country. You're in good hands here. And I just left that feeling like, I'm going to keep fighting on, so to speak. So it was all fine. So They gave you that empowerment, which is so important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, it's the staff that you deal with. It just, I remember the first time I had radiotherapy, like one of the technicians, he said, the people who come in here with a positive attitude, they don't suffer as much as those coming with a negative attitude. And I just thought, regardless of what mood I'm in, always going to chat to whoever's looking after me and I'm just going to basically skip into my radiotherapy or my, you know, I'm just going to put my best foot forward. Yes. I've only just met you, but I can see that you're an incredibly positive human and that you want to embrace everything that's presented to you. And I think that's a really wonderful piece of advice and something to be truly admired. Psychologically, I know it affected me, you know, cancer is still a huge impact in your life. Yeah. I know you felt really terrible telling your mum of your initial diagnosis and you've said that you felt that you should have known better. How did you come to terms with being diagnosed with the same disease that your father passed away from? Yeah, it was was a funny um, thing, like having this connection because he died when I was 19 and we always used to fight, particularly my teenage. So I know he's very, I went away to uni and I think that made him very proud. So we had a good relationship in the end, but it was a weird, I always found it's a weird connection to have with him that we have this same disease. And I remember like reading about ways to just kind of accept your stoma. And one person said they'd been told you should name it. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and she was like, that's silly. But I thought, oh, so I named mine after my dad. I called it Peter. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Which, but weirdly, like he was also very, um, he used to go to church every Saturday and his very Catholic faith was very important to him. So I remember going to my local Catholic church and just sitting in it because at that stage it was open and I just found that really emotional. But I helped. I think that helped kind of just reconcile it all. So, How have you found people have reacted to your diagnosis and treatment? I think really I've had a really good support around me, but at the same time it's the management of telling them. And I think I like to try where possible to tell someone in person so they can see that I'm well because there's such, I guess, a stigma with cancer that, cancer equals death it's not necessarily even with stage four it's not necessarily a given you're suddenly managing other people's emotions like yeah you're reassuring them like yeah like it's like i'm probably not gonna die from this like it's just treatment i'm doing really well and it's like it just gets tiring so and especially when it, I was re-diagnosed even if they're good friends there's some i just didn't tell because they were just 
a little bit on the pessimistic side and I think they would just be like, oh, that's like, yeah, Chris is going to die now. So it's kind of like, oh, I just can't be bothered. <laughs> no, I can't be bothered. It's just it's too much energy. And when you're trying to just deal with it. You need to focus your energy on getting through it and not dealing with someone else's issues, I suppose, sometimes. And I think that's a note for listeners. If you ever wonder what people go, how can I help? The way you can help is through practical assistance or being really positive and just being a friend. Yeah. On a positive note, you've got a very supportive partner yeah. and you said that you were going to get a dog and you've already mentioned your dog. <laughs> so how has Pickle and your partner helped you through this? Uh, my partner is just just wonderful. Like, yeah, just being very steady and optimistic and, yeah, just being very like a solid foundation to kind of ground myself off. And then, um, of course, my dog is just wonderful and that. He's this kind of like white fluffy dog. I mean, he walks up the street and he's got his little bounce and he always looks up to you smiling and people kind of smile. But he's also very, like, I guess in tune. I mean, most dogs are, they're in tune about your feelings. So I remember when I was, the night before I was due to go back onto chemo, I must have felt anxious because he would not leave my side that whole night. Like, And he obviously could sense that I... I was probably not quite right. And I find myself saying to him, Pickle, you know, I'm, I'm fine. It's all good. <laughs> how, how wonderful, yeah. though, and animals have that fabulous ability to help us get through difficult situations. And also he gives me another, like, he's another focus for me. Like, I'm like, okay, I need to stick around to have look after this dog. <laughs> so where are you in your cancer journey at the moment? I just had 12 sessions of radiotherapy, a, a different one to the one I originally had. It's like it's quite a high, dense, very targeted, I think it's called Sabre. And this is for your lungs? Yeah, yeah. So um, basically I've been on treatment for about eight months um, and everything was stable. The lymph nodes just run back to normal size. The lung tumours, they grew fractionally which my doctor said there's nothing to be concerned about. But I think she also is mindful that I've been on chemo for coming up to eight months. So she's like, let's just take a break, put you on radiotherapy. So that's what I did the radiotherapy for. How has the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy affected your body? I think the chemo makes me a little bit uh, fatigued and maybe a little bit fuzzy brained, um, but nothing major. Once I went back on it, I actually felt better. I felt more normal and all my, like, I put all my weight back on and all that. So it was actually kind of a good thing. I mean, it was just, you know, I was taking about four tablets a day and you can't drink. So it kind of restricts your ability to, not that I was a huge drinker, but it kind of restricts your social because everything is, people mostly catch up over a drink and I'm like a coffee or mineral water. The radiotherapy I was expecting would make me quite fatigued just from my previous experience, but I didn't even really feel that. I felt a bit rough around the edges, but there was no sort of skin irritation or anything. So I didn't really, I think you can get, because it's on your lungs, I think you can get a bit of a cough and stuff. I didn't. So they haven't done surgery. They At this point, they're treating it with drugs and radiotherapy. Yeah, I think because it, the two in my left lung are close together. The one in my right lung is at the top and one at the bottom. And I, I feel like 
if I read the report correctly, there's potentially some little micro nodules. There might just simply be it's like too difficult to, for surgery. Yeah. Finally, I'm going to ask you three things, three quick snapshots of what you want listeners to take away from today's discussion. What are they, Chris, for you? The cliche, I guess, would be to listen to your your body. If you feel like something's wrong, get it checked out. I suppose the other thing would be, I think, is to talk to your doctor too. Like when I had my initial chemotherapy, the dose was right for my body weight and stuff, but my body wasn't metabolizing it fast enough. So I was getting really sick. And I spoke to my doctor and she adjusted the dose and that made it better. So building a relationship and a rapport with your professionals? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I haven't mentioned that I enrolled at uni and I did a creative writing certificate. So I did two subjects a semester. And that it was the best thing. Yeah, I think that would be my, actually probably be my number one suggestion is it's find something. If you've got something you really love doing and you're passionate about, like do that as much as you possibly you can while you're being treated because it's just like something else to think about. And it helped with my mental health enormously. Chris, I know you're heading, heading off now to have another scan. I hope the results are exactly what you want. Huge thanks for sharing your story because I think by people sharing their story, the awareness will grow and it's so important. You're an inspiration and thank you so much. Oh, no worries. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.